Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Take Graphs here on the Chase Thomas podcast, a Major League Baseball show each and every week on this very show, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, Everything School HQ, up there in New York City. John Taylor, not. Of fan graphs, although we are still very pro fan graphs as we are each and every week on this show, John. Uh, John, yes. your take graphs take of the week this week is what? Uh, I just think it's nice that noted football school, University of Tennessee, finally gets recognized for its baseball prowess in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, is Todd Helton the first Tennessee Hall of Famer? Yes, second okay. SEC. Do you know who the only SEC guy outside of Helton is? I do not know. You have a guess? Uh, I imagine it's semi-recent, but... Semi-recent. That's a tough one. It's a good, this is a good trivia question, uh, but I, I do not have an answer. Frank Thomas. Frank Thomas, Auburn. That's right. Yep, that's it. Oregon. There's only two SEC MLB Hall of Famers, and it's Todd okay. Elton and Frank Thomas. Um... Well, congrats to, to to Todd Helton. Congrats to the University of Tennessee. I'm very excited to see how many Vols fans actually do show up for the Hall of Fame induction, which otherwise will just be a parade of very nice Minnesotans and uh, the Dominican and several Dominican party buses for Adrian Beltre. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think when it comes to the Hall of Fame, and and, and my take is, is Hall of Fame centered, which I know is, is your favorite discussion. Um <laughs> It's weird that we're at this point where, you know, and, you know, we're now seeing these players whom you and I remember and grew up with and whose careers were, were, were not just grew up with, but whose careers were roughly, uh, you know, happening at the same time as, as we were watching the sport. You know, you look at the 2025 ballot, it's going to have Ichiro, it's going to have CeCe Sabathia, it's going to have, you know, Dustin Pedroia, it's going to have a lot of guys who, you know, we were, it's going to have Felix Hernandez on it. Um, but there's one thing I, I feel like I've, you know, that, that kind of is, is, has become a reality for these ballots. Even as the 
the number of players over the last 10 or so years as the voting has gotten a little bit more flexible and we've gotten this kind of influx. It's still strange to feel like there's so many pieces of the of like our baseball history that are missing. I think what made me think a lot about this was Gary Sheffield. This was his 10th and final year on the ballot. He finished with about 65% of the vote, which is 10% short of what's needed for induction. And it's wild to me, and I, I, I get that, you know, the Hall of Fame is a, is a giant differentiator, but it's so wild to me that, you know, to, to the idea of, like, go back in time and tell someone the year roughly, like, 2003, Gary Sheffield, maybe the hitter in Major League Baseball who made you just scared, scared mm. out of your mind that the idea you had to retire Gary Sheffield multiple times in a game, not a Hall of Famer, you know? And, and I think it's it's a similar vein for, for different reasons, you know, that we don't have Barry Bonds in the Hall of Fame. We don't have Roger Clemens in the Hall of Fame. We don't have, almost certainly will not at this point, get Alex Rodriguez in the Hall of Fame or or Manny Ramirez to go along with Mark McGuire, to go along with Sammy Sosa. And it what it adds up to is, is there's this very prominent hole in baseball's history. It's centered in that, you know, late in that mid to late 90s going into the early 2000s period where the most dominant, uh, well-known, famous players, the best players of that era are simply just not getting in. And again, yeah. I understand it. And I recognize too that the Hall of Fame, or at the very least, the Baseball Hall of Fame is both museum and honor. And that there is a museum separate from the plaque, separate from from the guys who get inducted, that is to tell the history of baseball. You know, there's that argument that, you know, you don't have to induct Barry Bonds into the Hall of Fame for him to be present at the Hall of Fame. He will always be a part of the museum before because of the fact that he is the all-time home run king, you know, steroids or not. But it, it, it's strange to me when you look at the way Hall of Fame voting works to think that there is just, and, and it's been the case forever, but there's just this very subjective interpretation and display of who exactly is famous and why and what it is about baseball history that gets to be in. I think, and what made me think about it with Sheffield isn't just who he was as a player, which is to say one of the most feared, powerful, dangerous hitters of his era, but the fact that, you know, whatever reasons there are not to vote for Sheffield, and I think there are some more legitimate ones with regards to his overall value when you factor in defense, although you know, when we're talking about defensive numbers from that far back in time, it's, you know, you, you got to take them with a, a chunk of salt to his uh, Balco connection, which I think is, uh, is incredibly overblown. He never, you know, he never tested positive, was never, did not appear on any, on the Mitchell report, you know, pretty clear to me that Gary Sheffield was not steroids involved. It, it really does seem to boil down to Gary Sheffield's not a hall of famer because enough people didn't, enough voters did not personally like Gary Sheffield. And Again, for as much as you can make arguments, okay, Barry Bonds was definitively, not definitively, but very, very connected to, to steroids. You know, Manny Ramirez failed two tests. A-Rod was suspended twice. You know, so was Manny for that matter. I, it, it, it's just so strange to me that the way the Hall of, like, and again, this has, been how the, this has been how the Hall of Fame operates, but that there is such a, and I think I felt it more this year looking at Hall of Fame uh, ballots that there just doesn't seem to be any larger grounding thread to all of this. There doesn't seem to be any larger establishing standard as to what the Hall of Fame even means. You know, you look at who got in this year. Adrian Beltre is an obvious Hall of Famer. I thought Joe Maurer was a very deserving Hall of Famer from the get-go, and I'm very glad he got in first ballot. You know, Todd Hel but I think maybe maybe Todd Helton, too, especially vis-a-vis -vis, uh, Gary Sheffield. When, you know, I don't, 
and you know you could point to a variety of different numbers uh, to make the case for one of the one or the other. But I'll, I guess I'll just stick with with baseball reference wins above replacement when it comes to both players. Uh, Todd Helton finished his career with sixty one point eight wins above replacement and fifty four point two jaws, which is Jay Jaffe's WAR measurement system for Hall of Fame uh, purposes. Mm-hmm. Gary Sheffield finished his career with as I'm scrolling down, scroll, 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 60.5 career war and 49.3 jaws. There's a difference, but it's not a particularly big one. And so what I kind of, what I find so strange about the way the Hall of Fame is now is the splitting of the hairs necessary for Todd Helton to be a Hall of Famer. And this is absolutely nothing against Todd Helton. I think he's also a deserving Hall of Famer, one of the best first basemen of his era. And in particular, it, it's cool that voters were able to look past cores you know, and and in the in a way that I think took a lot longer with Larry Walker, who was an even more deserving candidate, to see that Helton was legitimately one of the best hitters of his era. But what the, the hairs that need to be split for Todd Helton to get in, and for Gary Sheffield to be left out, when there's fundamentally no real difference between the two of them in terms of career numbers, uh, you know, on on an overall basis or on an advanced basis, I. I I don't know. I don't, I don't really know what point necessarily I'm going for here, which is always a sign of a great take, but it, it just feels to me like the Hall of Fame has kind of, you know, in the wake of, and, and you know, now that the, the days of the Bonds, Clemens, and, and Schilling debates are, are done, it, it almost feels like the Hall has kind of lost a sense of exactly what it is that the Hall of Fame is supposed to be and do at this point. You know, because again, I don't understand how the Hall of Fame can have room for Todd Helton, but not Gary Sheffield. You know, I, I don't really understand how the Hall of Fame, how Hall of Fame voters can look, you know, and, and, and okay, I do understand to a certain degree, but how Hall of Fame voters can look at Chase Utley and think not a Hall of Famer when there are so many numbers from his admittedly short career that suggest that he was one of the best second basemen of his time, you know, and, and look, the, the Hall has made many misses or has had many misses in the past and had many controversial decisions, but I don't know. There's just something about this particular year and this particular vote where it just seemed, especially like the more ballots you saw and how just no one seemed to be in any agreement or consensus with the exception of Beltre on who qualif- on who is a Hall of Famer. And I think we'll see that to a certain degree again next year, both with everyone is going to agree Ichiro Suzuki is a Hall of Famer. Mm. You know, no, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. That's not going to happen. What I'm really interested to see are the debates around CC Sabathia, who I think of this uh, up until uh, the Verlander, Scherzer, Kershaw trio calls it quits, and I add Granky to that to make a quartet, I think is the best bet of a starting pitcher to make it into the Hall of Fame. And starting pitchers in the Hall of Fame is a whole other category at this point. Uh, and then I think we're also going to get yet another peak versus longevity debate when it comes to Felix Hernandez. I, I don't know if, I don't think Felix Hernandez is necessarily a Hall of Famer, but it feels very strange to me, you know, to have a Hall of Fame without a Felix Hernandez. And I don't know how you necessarily solve that, you know, because I guess that's ultimately the thing is the Hall of Fame is subjective because everyone has their own Hall of Fame in their mind. But it just to me feels like there has been a certain we're getting to a point where the splitting of hairs is, is just kind of nuts to me that, again, Todd Helton gets in. Gary Sheffield does not. I don't really see how you square that particular circle, but. Uh, I know I know Hall of Fame discussion is not your favorite thing, though, aside from, again, being able to celebrate uh, a, a vol, but... Well, well hey, I, that's positive, but I also just think you have to come to terms, John. It's just going to be weird. Like, it's not going to make sense. You're just going to have, like, the Sheffield-Helton thing. You're going to have 
bonds might be a part of it i think for all uh baseball fans you just have to be okay with like it's not going to make sense guys who should be in or not in but also helton is a hall of famer right like we would agree todd helton had a hall of fame mlb career he's in that's nice i mean adrian beltray hall of fame career it's nice joe mauer hall of fame career that's nice and you just do the best you can you like you feel for those guys especially like sheffield um, and I'd highly encourage you to go listen to front of the program, Xavier Scruggs, uh, his interview with, uh, in person, sit down and talking about his bat swing and everything else. Uh, it was interesting. Uh, Sheffield, uh, super interesting and in talking about his swing. And obviously, uh, so many people, myself modeled, uh, in their living room. Everyone, everyone <laughs> loves to do the bat waggle. It was just, yeah, like it was, do. it's a cool thing. And um, some, but so, someone yeah. else I wanted to mention too, I forgot Billy Wagner who missed out on hall of fame yeah. election by five votes. Next year, thankfully, this wasn't his last year on the ballot. Next year will be. I fully expect he'll get in next year. But again, it, there's something so strange to me. I think even in that, too, that, you know, f- five voters was the difference. Five votes, five voters. The difference between Barry, uh, Barry, sorry, uh, Billy Wagner being in the Hall of Fame or not. He will mm-hmm. get those five votes next year, maybe from some of those guys and, you know, from people who may have dropped them this year and will add them. It just feels like the lack of consistency, you know, or something like Carlos Beltran, who did poorly in his first year on the ballot, I think in large part because of the Astro sign stealing scandal, gained about 10 or 11 points uh, on this ballot, still has a bit to go. But, you know, it's odd to me that there would even be this idea necessarily of I think Carlos Beltran is a Hall of Famer, but I have to punish him in my own way by leaving him off a ballot in his first year because he did. He did. I, I don't know. I, I think you're right. Ultimately, at the end of the day, so you just have to make your peace with the inconsistency. But it feels almost harder and harder to do that because the voting feels so deeply subjective and idiosyncratic that, you know, it, it, it is just hard to make sense of the whole in, in a way. And which is, I think, at the end of the day, all of this is to the detriment of the Hall of Fame, you know, to have a to have a voting process that. You know, there already are, are significant issues with it, I think. The fact that it's not simply a yes, a simple binary yes or no ballot. The fact that you're limited uh, to 10 players that you can choose. The fact that, you know, you have the hall itself weighing in on stuff like having Joe Morgan write a letter to say, guys who are connected to steroids shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. When that's absolutely not, you know, that's a decision for voters to make, not, you know, other enshrined players. But I guess, yeah, at the end of the day, it is to the Hall of Fame's detriment that it does not feel like a thorough, uh, you know, collection or coverage of what baseball looked like or continues to look like or was. And it is really just, well, Todd Helton, yes, but Gary Sheffield, no, because Gary Sheffield was kind of a prick. You know, and that's unfortunately really what it boils down to is that there is the popularity contest aspect of it. And that just, I think that just increasingly rubs me the wrong way. Yeah. But we'll see what happens. It's not going to be the last year. This is going to be a problem oh, year no, in, is, year this out. Be a problem every single year. This is this is how the Hall of Fame vote operates. I think it's just a lot of the... Now that the Clemens, Bonds, Schilling uh, stuff isn't sucking up all the oxygen in the discussion, I think yeah. there's almost like... For me, at least personally, I can only speak for myself, this kind of weird feeling of noticing me like, oh, you know, it, it, you know, for because for that, especially, it's like, okay, well, Bonds and Clemens were steroid connected and Schilling is an awful dumb racist but you know gary sheffield has nothing you can really point to to say he shouldn't be in here yeah except for i didn't like him and if Mm -hmm. that's your criteria for who gets into the hall of fame or not i'm not saying that's what every sheffield no vote was but i don't know it it 
it, it makes for a very incomplete picture of baseball history and and particularly baseball celebration in terms of the guys who get to be there because you know we we don't have that many living hall of famers anymore a lot of a lot of those guys are reaching the point where they are not going to be with us much longer. You know, we had a, a specific, we particularly I remember 2020 and 2021, we had a significant number of living hall of famers die. So, you know, I, I think it behooves the hall. I, I guess maybe at the end of the day, what I'm trying to say is I'm a big hall guy. I'm starting to feel like more and more and big hall guy, big hall guy over here. But it, it just feels odd to, you know, have that run into, you know, the personal vagaries and subjective whims of, of the people who vote. So, I like it. Um, John. Yes. Josh Hader. Long yes. contract to yes. the Houston Astros. What are yes. the Astros doing and will this end up working out for both parties? So I think it makes sense from the Astros perspective when you consider the fact that for as much as we talked about them, yes, they made the playoffs last year. Yes, they made it to the ALCS. Yes, they won the division. They only won 90 games, which was their lowest full season total in I think about six or seven years. Uh they only won the division pretty much on the last day of the season, thanks in large part to the Rangers coughing up the division lead. And said Rangers booted them pretty hard out of the ALCS. So, you know, this this is an Astros team that, you know, is not as strong, I think, as, as probably it felt like on paper. And particularly when you look at the bullpen, you know, uh, on the one hand, Ryan Presley, Brian Abreu, a great one-two punch. Uh, Abreu in particular could be a closer for like 25 other teams in baseball. But you saw with Presley last year, he can, as he gets older, he lost a lot of he lost a lot of strikeout rate. Uh, his pitches no longer seem to have the same full effectiveness. That's only going to continue to be the case as he gets older. To say nothing of the fact, this is his last year under contract. Uh, Houston lost Kendall Graveman for the season to shoulder surgery. I think he was going to be a big part of their setup core. Obviously, not going to be the case any longer. Hector Neris has walked away in free agency and is probably not returning. Uh, Rafael Montero had a terrible season last year. And the rest of the Astros' bullpen, there's not a lot of depth or strength there. Houston has focused a lot of its resources in the past, mostly in the starting rotation, to make sure it has a deep starting rotation built up there. In large part, I think, because they've just not been able to count on Lance McCullers to any degree. So they've wanted to have enough depth, particularly also given that, you know, Christian Javier, Jose Urquidy, uh, you know, those, those guys have not had an easy time staying healthy either. So I think... All of that in mind, a hater makes a lot of sense. He's one of the five best closers in baseball. He is a lockdown option in the ninth inning. He lengthens the Astros' bullpen. He deepens it, lets you keep Abreu in a setup role, puts Presley in a setup role too, which I think helps make up for the loss of Graveman. Uh, takes And ideally, if he stays healthy, means that Houston, come deadline time, doesn't have to worry about sacrificing prospects to pick up uh, a top-flight reliever. So, you know, I, I think it's a good move for Houston. I think it's a good move for Hader, obviously, to be on a winning team where you're going to get to you know rack up saves and pitch a lot. He gets paid with the 595 that he got. It's I think it's a sensible deal for both sides. I, I have a hard time really finding anything problematic about it, other than the fact that you know it's not going to age well, probably as a contract. Is giving that much money to a reliever rarely does. But if you are going to give that much money to a reliever, give it to an elite guy. Hader is an elite guy. You know, call it a Jim Crane overpay, because I think that at the end of the day, that's what this is, is Jim Crane saying, screw it, there's nowhere else this money's going to go. Mm -hmm. um, which I think is also part of it, too, is that in this particular uh, free agency period, Houston, you know, there's nothing they can really add lineup-wise because they do not particularly need to. As I mentioned already, that rotation has options, particularly now with Justin Verlander back in the fold. There's no real, you know, I don't think they were ever going to be in on a guy like Blake Snell or Jordan Montgomery to say nothing of the guys who have already signed. The bullpen was really the one area where Houston 
had both the room and the need to make an impact. And I think if you're going to do that, then you get the best guy available. Uh, so I, I, I like Houston getting Hader. I think that's a good move for them. And I think it keeps them very much right there with the Rangers in the AL West conversation, which I think is the other thing too, is, you know, if you're Houston, you'd much rather get the division than you would have to worry about a wild card. And this helps you yeah. immensely in that capacity. Look, I think it's going to be, it'll be interesting. They're going to be it, them and the Rangers. They're just beefed up. They're going to be strong and I'm excited to see them go to go to war. But I, it, it just still feels like we're at the, the end of days for the Astros as the, the team to beat in the AL. And they're just fighting to, to hold on uh, to ride this out a little bit longer. Yeah, and I think that makes sense. Um, the one thing to note with the Astros, I think if you're a little concerned about the maybe the little concern about the hater contract is, shouldn't this team be scraping together every dollar it has to deal with the imminent uh, free agencies of Alex Bregman and Jose Altuve? But I also do think that Houston, real even with, with or without hater, realistically is only keeping one of those guys. And I think it's going to be Altuve because I think he's oh, it's definitely going to be Altuve. They're so, riding out because I think Altuve probably okay's the rebuild right like being the vet and hanging out he's won well, his that, titles i think that's a, that i think he'll come cheaper i think yeah. um you know i think there's probably more of a value on what he offers than bregman i mean they're both fantastic if i if i had to choose personally if money were not an object i would pick bregman yeah but i can understand why houston would pick altuve slash the fact that bregman is probably going to price himself out of houston's reach but um yeah, I, I feel like it, Hater is very much a let's keep that window open as long as we can because, you know, you're only really signing an elite reliever if you feel like you're a championship contender. And Houston very much is in, in that vein. So you're not wrong. Uh, final one here, John Taylor, Reese Hoskins to the Brewers, sir. Do you uh, do you like this for Milwaukee? I like it a lot. I think. If there's something Milwaukee has definitely been lacking in the last forever, it's uh, offensive depth, particularly power, particularly from the right-hand side. Uh, Hoskins, obviously, for whatever flaws he has, including the fact he is an abysmal defensive first baseman, is one of the better right-handed power hitters in baseball. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what Milwaukee gets out of him coming off a torn ACL. That's obviously a really tough injury to come back from it's gonna you know but uh, the plus side if you want to call it a plus side uh it's not as if reese hoskins had a ton of agility and mobility in the first place plus here's what milwaukee's first baseman did last year collectively a 231 292 389 line with a 293 weighted on base average in 81 wrc plus and negative 0.6 wins above replacement uh that wins above replacement figure tied with the angels for third worst in the major leagues, that WRC plus of 81, third worst in the major leagues, better only than the Royals and the Rockies. And you know when you're in that category of offense of the only teams worse than us for Kansas City and Colorado, you really, really need to do something to improve yourself. So I think that obviously is a really big, that was a really, really big position of need for the Brewers. They went out and got, I think, the best option that they could realistically have expected. Um, I'm a little surprised no one else went there, but I also think Hoskins is probably better suited as a DH than as a first baseman. And Milwaukee, at least, he'll be able to, to bounce between the two, which I, I think is good. So just on that note alone, I think it's a good signing for Milwaukee. It fits within their budget. And I think if this is a year, um, this probably is the final year of this particular Brewers core uh, led by Corbin Burns hanging together. So you know, if things do take a turn either this year or next, 
Hoskins on a relatively short-term cheap contract also makes for a potential trade value or trade asset if if Milwaukee wants to try to pull off some kind of quick or skinny rebuild, a guy they can move maybe for a C-level prospect or some bullpen help down the road or something like that if it doesn't work out. But no, I, I like it for Milwaukee. I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I think it's a very a very sensible move for them. I just... Milwaukee's interesting because I just I've just circled them in as hey this is a fallen empire yeah, the important folks are out the building you got Stearns out you got Council yeah. out the writing's on the wall that a rebuild is coming I think they just I, I don't know I, I just I'm very curious if there's a big drop off this year and it's not something we're expecting that there because I think a lot of people are just like they'll probably be like a 500 team they'll be somewhere around there but yeah. I just wonder if they actually fall off a cliff like they're a team to watch of like if the Reds have a good year, if the if Pittsburgh's just a little bit better, if um, the Cardinals bounce back, which I think you and I both think they can, and then I think the Cubs will be better. I don't know. I just the the Brewers are very fascinating to me in that regard. Where I could see this being that kind of year, but then they go out and sign Reese Hoskins, and I we talked about it a couple weeks ago. I'm like, why don't the Cubs sign Reese Hoskins? And um, I don't know. Hoskins, we'll see if he's like this is a good one. Okay, now that he's here. What are, would you put the percentage of Reese Hoskins being a Milwaukee Brewer this time next year? Uh, this time next year, probably anywhere from 80 to 100%. Okay, so you don't think he gets moved this summer? Not necessarily, no. Not unless things go terribly wrong for Milwaukee. But um, I, th- I think that is a good point to make, though, is that the you know the margin for error in the NL Central is going to be smaller next year. So any little thing Milwaukee can do, and again, this was a major, major position of need for them. I think they went out and got the best they could do here. Every, every, every improvement counts. Every win counts. So good job by Milwaukee there. Absolutely. John Taylor, shorter pod today. Uh, busy, busy evening here, but uh, appreciate it. You got to do some Vols talk. I got to do some Vols talk. And this is all Vols. This is a baseball-centric episode here tonight. Base so Vols, if you will. All Vols. Helton in the Hall of Fame. Vols. Uh, right after this, it's going to be it's gonna be great. Well, enjoy John Taylor, your interview with Peyton Manning. Whew, down the, I, One day. One day. <laughs> down the line. We'll get it. I'm going to make it happen. But John Taylor, thank you as always, my friend. And I will talk to you next week. All right. See you, man. All right, we're back here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, Everything School HQ. One of the big reasons we are in Everything School HQ is two of the guys here who have been with the tremendous Tennessee Volunteers baseball team the last few years as they continue on just top 10 finish, top 10 finish, Omaha, Omaha. They're wearing the hats. We know what the expectation and the hope is here in Knoxville this spring. I can't believe baseball season's like a little over a month away. Can uh, Xander Seacrest and Kirby Connell, can uh, Canal, excuse me, can you believe that we're here as the dog hops up for Kirby? Yeah, I, I knew I knew he was going to hop up here at one point. Um, he always going to always going to try to make his appearance. What's his but, name? Uh, his name's Rusty. Rusty. Okay, I had a dog yeah. named Rusty growing up. No, no, we're we're excited for the season, uh, and this past few years have been truly amazing. So we're excited to see as we could both go for our last ride. So we're gonna we're excited for this this upcoming season. Yeah, it's just kind of crazy how everything's how time has flown by. Yeah, like he said, last ride. Do you remember what it was like your first day, like when it was real for you that you're like, I'm a Tennessee volunteer baseball player. Did it hit you? When do you remember what that was like? 
Mine was like when I got here, but it was like during COVID time. So Stokely was a mm-hmm. little bit different, but it was probably my first lift. I was like, yeah, this is, this is no joke. Mm-hmm. Was it intimidating? Uh, what was, was it just like, uh Oh, like <laughs> I'm in the big bull. I'm in the big game now. Like this is, you this go, is a real deal. Uh, you go from like the top of the food chain when you're yeah. senior in high school, just to, you know, straight down to the bottom in like a couple months. But you you come off that high from high school, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, in a few months, like I just said, boom, you're you're right back down. What about for you, Kirby? Uh, see, mine was about 17 years ago. Um, <laughs> no, it was it was uh, before COVID. So my freshman year was COVID. Um, mm-hmm. So. In the fall, it was it was kind of crazy because they just uh, went to the first – in 2018, they went to the first regional in, since like 2005 or something like that. Mm. And so, you know, our class was pretty good. So coming in, we were had very high expectations. And the expectations have just gotten higher and higher ever since I've been here. Um, but, no, just going in and, and uh, it was very intimidating a little bit because um, you had all the guys like Garrett Crochet. Andre or uh, Luke Lipsius, um, Alex Lari, Zach Daniels, all these big time names. And you're like, all right. Now, if I, I came in as a starter and I'm like, well, I'm not going to start over Crochet. Um, mm-hmm. Let's see. I'm not going to start over Zach uh, or uh, over Chase Wallace. I'm not going to start over uh, Chad Dallas. And so it's like, all right, now my time has turned to a relief pitcher and I got to figure out how to fill out the bullpen. So. Um, it definitely has changed. Um, it definitely changed my perspective on everything once I finally got here. What um, was the toughest adjustment going from the high school game going to SEC baseball as a pitcher for you? I would say you can't get away with uh, as many pitches as you did in high school. Mm-hmm. You know, these these guys are – Obviously, here for a reason. Every SEC batter can hit, no matter if they're coming off the bench or in the starting nine. But I just say the you can't make as many mistakes as a pitcher. Or obviously, you're going to pay either a 450 dead center or just a 110 off the bat. What about you, Kirby? Yeah, you know, it's I agree with Xander a little bit on that. Is you know, in high school, you could get away with some of the pitches that you threw. It's like, okay, this dude's going to swing no matter what. Uh, you could throw it in the other batter's box. He's going to swing. Um, but now it's like now with all the technology and everything that we have, it's like you're not going to get away with anything. Everybody knows what you have. Um, and they, they've already they've already seen you throw before you even got on the mound. Um, so just kind of approaching it like one pitch at a time. It's like, okay, this dude swung and missed on a curveball but it was a really good swing. Like I know for sure I'm not going to throw that pitch again. Um, So it's like you got to be able to make those. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Adjustments um, in time, in that moment, and just kind of slowing everything down. Do y'all do like when it comes to game week, because obviously you have the Tuesday night game that we'll get into in a second here, but then when you have the weekends, like, how much prep goes into knowing what the lineups are going to be like ahead of time of like, so that you have an idea of when you're going to be going in to just really have a strong feel in terms of what you're, what you're up against. How was, what is that like? Well, from the, from the, you know, the labels below, mm-hmm. I'm an SP. So for the last two years, <laughs> I've been the midweek starter. Yes. So the weekends have been kind of, kind of weird for me in a sense, like sometimes yeah. I relieve, but most of the time I was starting on Tuesday, but I'm pretty sure Kirby has a way more in-depth detail, but I think preparing for the weekend is a little bit more of a mental preparation because obviously you don't know when you're going to throw. You don't know mm-hmm. what type of situation you're going to be in. And, heck, Kirby can definitely attest to this. You don't know how many you're going to get to be able to throw down the bullpen before you even come in the game. But obviously my situation is a little bit different with starting in the midweeks for the past two years. So the weekends were kind of like my mental preparation to get ready for the Tuesday game or even like a bullpen on Sunday during a game. But yeah, Kirby, Kirby's got like it down to a T of his routine and stuff, but yeah, relief and starting is a little bit different and the weekends are definitely more, I would say mentally stressed than obviously a Tuesday. I can see that. So for preparation, um, Xander, it, I would I give you some props. I I kind of do have my preparation down to a T. I can be ready to throw in the matter of a pin drop to you could give me seven innings and I'll still be ready to throw no matter how many I throw in the bullpen. Um, but no, I think it the preparation like scouting reports and stuff like that. Um, I think our analytics guys and all of our coaches do a great job of setting up the scouting reports. Um, I like to look at them sometimes. Like I say, if I have to go in really early and I don't get to see mm-hmm. everybody, like say if I go in Friday and like the third inning, then it's like, okay, I'm going to look at it in the first and second inning. Like, okay, well, like what do these guys do if I've never seen them before? Mm-hmm. Um, but being in the being in the league for five years, I kind of have a good idea on what people can and can't do. Um, I'll look at it maybe like, okay, with this dude's from a Juco. I've never seen him before. I don't know what he can do. I haven't watched him on TV at all. And I think, that's what kind of helps is, you know, every game being broadcasted and you can go in on YouTube and you can watch, okay, this guy, this guy just hit a homer off a curveball off a lefty and it looks exactly like mine. Probably not going to throw that. Um, So, uh, but the preparation for me is, you know, being ready to throw any single day. So if I go out on Friday night and throw less than 15 or 20, less than 25 pitches, I need to be ready to throw on Saturday. And do the same thing. So say if I say if I throw on Saturday, okay, if I threw like four or five pitches, then it's like okay, my max. Like I only thrown thirty in the past two days. I can still I have like however many to go. But um, 
for a relief pitcher and the, and the situations that I've been in um, in the past few years is uh, be ready to go whenever your name's called and, you know, just go out there and do what you do and throw strikes. When did y'all know that y'all were going to be good friends? When did it, what, what was the moment or when did you realize, ah, oh, there's something here. This is, we're going to be inseparable. This is going to be a good friendship here at Tennessee. Well, I mean, I would say it was the first day we started throwing together because not a lot of people think we're throwing partners. They just think we're good buddies. But throwing partners, I would say, I guess the first day. But, yeah, like it kind of just carried on and just carried on. And, I mean, obviously that was four years ago for me, three years. What would it be four years ago for you? Three? It's been four years. Four years? I mean, that's – that's kind of so we've been through. You could say, you know, you know, partner in crime, thick and thin. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what we we kind of been through. We've kind of been through everything. We talk to each other, even if we have like good outings or bad outings, because obviously nobody's perfect. But we we kind of build off each other. If he if he goes in the game and I'm like in the bullpen, maybe he's done. I, I'll go like, hey, what'd you see? What we got going? He tells me, or vice versa. More for Tuesdays, just in case if he got in, mm-hmm. but. Um, you know, we just kind of help each other out, and you know, obviously, our friendship has has carried a long way, and I don't, I don't see it ending. But Kirby might have a different opinion, but I, I don't no, see it. No, I do not. I do not have a different opinion on that. You know what the funny, the funny thing is, we were talking about um, <laughs> weddings today. It was, it was actually, it was just weird. But um, yeah, I was like, you know, probably Kirby's going to be my best man at the wedding, and I mean, oh, you know, I mean. This for is some right breaking now, news. You're putting it out there it's out in the open, Xander. Like, there's no going back on this. You're throwing it out there right yeah, now. You know, everybody's going to pull, probably pull this tape. Yep. And if I have somebody different, but everybody's going to pull this oh, tape. Oh, I'm, like, I'm pulling it. If somebody else. Uh, like, like, but granted, he's going to get mad when I say my part because I have two older brothers. Yeah. Okay. My oldest hey, brother got that's... married. My middle brother was his best man. My middle brother got married. I was his best man. So now it's just got to be yeah. my oldest that's, brother's got to be that's my respectable, best man. That's but, respectable. Xander is going to be in the wedding, so it's okay. not like I'm just kicking him to the curb. So, well, as someone who's married, let me tell you, uh, it's not <laughs> fun. Like going through that whole process and having to figure it out, it's not fun. It, the best man is a tough, it's a tough deal. You you wish you there's no reason for it too. Like you're all standing up there next to each other. It's not like it's a necessary thing. Like everyone who's up there obviously is important to you. We don't need to we don't need to pick one person out of this group. They're all in there. You should give a speech. Yeah, the, who's the best uh, person that can talk? Speech. Are y'all good for speeches? Like, is that a public speaking? Is that uh, you're ready to go? Can you do uh, a best man speech and feel like, yeah, I can kill it? Or are you going to have to like do some prep? Or are you going in blind? Because uh, there's two types of wedding best man speeches: the ones who think I got it and I'm just going to wing it, or I'm going to put some thought uh, into this no, before I go up there. I'm, I can do, I can do both ways. Okay, I'm I can do both. I'm I'm more than likely going to wing it though. <laughs> more than likely going to wing it. Jot this down, Xander. Kirby's going to wing it on your wedding day. Just a heads up. He's bringing it. There will be 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 no note cards. Oh, yeah. No, no. It'll be straight from right here. Yeah. So I'll probably wing it too, but I'll be in enough, like, in a situation where I'm really comfortable Mm -hmm. so I can just let it rip. There you go. I, I like it. Um, how did you approach this year's offseason different than uh, offseasons in years past, Kirby? Uh, you know, this year was a little bit different. Um, I, I started throwing a new pitch. I uh, started throwing a cutter, uh, which Xander actually helped me with cause he throws a cutter. Um, mm-hmm. so 
you know, being able to just go out there and, and throw, throw it with some conviction behind it and not like just kind of baby it. So like sometimes I would do. Um, so that was, a, it was a big, big step for me to try to learn a new pitch. Cause you know, it's like the fifth year. Why would I change something? Um, but going out there trying to learn a new pitch and then, you know, just trying to get my body right. Uh, just trying to be able to be healthy for the whole year and, and, you know, cause I'm getting old, so I'm starting to break down a little bit. Um, but, you know, just trying to, trying to be out there every single game and, and do what I can do and be ready to go when my name gets called. Um, before I pivot, uh, to you on this question, Xander, like what, is there like, do you worry about the psychological aspect to uh, adding the cutter now at, in year five to be like, I mean, because you've been so effective doing it a certain way and with your repertoire to this point that you're like, is it a good, do I, should I do this? Should I add this? Like, is this something that I need right now? What if this, like the psychological aspect, did you, did that weigh on you at all? Yeah, uh, a little bit um, to start off with, because I was very questionable about like, why, why would I change it now? Mm -hmm. um if if it ain't broke don't fix it um but you know looking at it and doing like the analytical stuff um i actually sat down with our analytics guy and our pitching coach and i was like uh what do i like what do i need to do to be able to like throw this pitch and still be able to get get guys out and not mm -hmm. like leave it over the middle of the plate so um uh, no there's a lot that went into it a lot of like thoughts and processes and like okay there was a point actually. I I remember telling Xander like, "All right, I'm done throwing this. This is useless. I'm, I don't want to. I don't want to throw it anymore because it's not showing me anything." Yeah. And then proceed to go out the next outing, and it works. So, um, no, there was definitely some some thoughts going into it. Like, why would I change it now? But it's uh, it's worked out for me. Um, it's exciting. I guess over the past five months. So, I'm excited. Uh, Xander, what about you? What was different this off season for you? I mean, I, I look at every offseason kind of the same way, you know, get better, get right, get your body right, get your mental capacity right. Um, like he said, I've had the cutter for a while, so I'm just a four-pitch mix guy. But, you know, keep keeping in touch with Kurt, make sure he's doing his stuff, you know, and he's make sure I'm doing mine. But you know, the offseason is just you try not to do too much. You try not to overthink what to happen in the season, what your role is going to be, because obviously you don't know what your role is going to be until you're in – you're in the fight, you're in the thick of things. And I, I would just say, like, you know, just the normal stuff, lifting, throwing, throwing bullpens, and, you know, you just take the offseason any way that feels comfortable to you. I like it. Um, biggest difference between you as a pitcher now versus when you got to UT, Xander? Um, obviously, I added the cutter since I got here. But I would say I just matured more. I mean, hits are going to happen, walks are going to happen, errors are going to happen. And I just think to myself that you can only control the controllable. You can only control your mechanics. You can't really control once it leaves your hand. So whatever happens, happens. You just try to make the best pitch possible and, you know, let – I'm not like – we're not over overpowering guys. Like everybody wants to talk about velo this, velo that. Mm. And like, you know, it's, it's cool and all to hit hundred. I, I completely understand. It's, it's awesome to get there, but if you can't command it as well, then, you know, what's the point, but I, yeah, I mean, command for me has been a big, a big thing and, and maturing. What about you, Kirby? I think mine, um, from the time that I got here, uh, to where I am now, uh, would probably be a little bit of the confidence, uh, just mm. being able to go out there and throw every single pitch that I want 
and be able to throw it for a strike and be able to compete against, you know, the guys that we have on our team and against the guys in the SEC because, you know, if you're in the SEC, you're here for a reason. Um, you're probably one of the best in the, in the nation. So, uh, you know, being able to throw throw all my pitches with the same amount of confidence as I, as I do as if I was playing against, you know, somebody that's not so good. Um, but, you know, being able to throw all those pitches the, the exact same way and, and have the confidence that I do. And then also, I think, I think what really has changed from my freshman year to where I am now is, is my body, you know, treating my body right and getting with our strength and conditioning coach and our nutritionist and, and, um, you know, being able to go out and play 62 games and be fine and don't have to worry about going home and eating like, eating like, uh, not so good food. Um, Mm -hmm. I was going to say crap, but I don't think I can. Um, you can say crap. Yeah, you can okay. say crap. Eat, that's eat, like, eat, a, eat, that's eat, like a universal yeah. word. You could say okay. crap. Eat, Wait, eat, what was your like, go-to that got cut out? What did you? What hurt? What hurt that you had to take out of the, the 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 lunchbox? I love Little Debbie's. So uh, a okay. cosmic brownie. Oh, you're a cosmic uh, brownie guy. Or a Swiss roll or a zebra Swiss cake. Are good. Um, anything Have like you ever that. Done the anything? Christmas zebra cakes, the Christmas ones. Those are good. The Christmas zebra cakes are king. Like those are just—I mean, you can pound a whole sleeve of those, and you're just like, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to go run a marathon. Uh, all vibes when you're on the little Debbie zebra cakes. Okay, yeah. what did you add? Are we doing broccoli? Are we doing zucchini? What? what I actually added? used to—I used to not eat anything green. So okay, like whatever. If it was green, I didn't eat it. Um, but now I've gotten into—I uh, was really big on broccoli, and then it all started to taste the same. Um, so I was not a big fan of that anymore. Um, but I do love some like, uh, zucchini and squash, okay. um, asparagus, anything like that. So that's a big change. Yeah. I, I like it. Um, difference between last year's team and the team two years ago, did you know two years ago it'd be like a number one all season type of dominance before the year? Or was it like, oh, March and then maybe April that you kind of let on? And then when you think about last year, seeing it being number two and going into the year with those expectations building off what happened the year prior, Xander, was it like, oh, this team is going to be better. We're going to be gritty. We're going to fight back uh, against adversity. I can just tell that this team is built for adversity because I think that was just the calling card of the 2023 balls baseball team was just built for adversity and being built for your backs against the wall and never being totally out of it with like i think zane's home run is probably the biggest uh example of that with the last pitch and the season on the line but it just never feeling like tennessee was out of it what did those last two seasons and in, in that context how is it uh how is it different for you i'd say the main difference from the two years ago team to now is obviously the uh the turnover because obviously we're a part of that team from two years ago, but now looking at the team now, there's not a lot of people from that, you mm. know, seven and nine team. So the experience that we had together and, and knowing how much adversity we could go through in one season and still walk out with 57 wins, no matter what type of game we were in, what type of game we felt out of it. But the trick is we never feel out of games because we've been instilled with confidence and fearlessness and all these bunch of adjectives that you can think of, but adversity is a huge one. And then last year's team, we, you could say that we had adversity being five and 10 at one point in the SEC. Mm-hmm. And obviously we have Vanderbilt coming to town. One of the top tier SEC teams in baseball for sure. 
And all of a sudden we just turned it around with two walk-off homers. And now, now we're sitting there in the locker room eight and 10 after we were five and 10, literally at the start of the week. And it just kind of turned over and we just kind of took off. And obviously you mentioned Zane's home run. I mean, that was a crazy game in general, but yeah. we had like three Friday night starters go out there and just do their work. And, you know, I would say as being a part of all baseball that I've never felt out of a game. I've never felt, you know, that we're not going to win. We're not going to, you know, we're never going to lay down to an opponent. And I, I mean, I love, I love being into every game, no matter what the score is. What about you, Kirby? Uh, yeah. So for the 2022 year, um, like Xander said, we, we were, we never felt like we were ever out of a game. Uh, mm. no matter what it is, like we could have been, we could have gave up four runs in the first and then in the bottom of the first, we're going to score four, no matter yeah. what. Um, so it's just like, it was, we, coach V has done a great job of, uh, investing in us and showing us that, okay, like if you put in all this work at, and you, you have a great environment at your work, then you're going to be fearless and everything that you do, no matter what it is. And, you know, just being able to, do what we did in 22 and then start off how we did in 23. It was kind of just like, this is weird because I like, get it. We got, we got a whole brand new starting lineup, but it's like, we just replaced these guys that may be even better than those guys, but we just aren't playing together as a team. Um, and I think that's something that we realized and we did a lot of way, a lot of team bonding um, last year, just because it was, we had to, we had to start something. We had to, we had to, the flame where it was like okay if if we want to do it now and i think that's something that what we did is we i think we had a team bonding the thursday night before uh vandy and it was like all right quit joking around let's go let's do it yeah and so we went out there and we swept vandy and then turn around and now we're eight and 10 and it's like, okay, got to keep going next, next, next game, no matter what it is. And I think, you know, just being able to, to play how we played against those certain teams, it's like, okay, we showed we can do it against one of the best teams in the SEC who ended up winning the SEC tournament. Yeah. It's like, if we can do that, then we can, we can beat almost anybody. And so just being able to show that to ourselves and then go into Clemson in a hostile environment, um, just not getting anything going our favor, you know, you know, we want it. We, we thought we end up winning the Clemson regional. Okay. Now we think, okay, we're going to host a super regional. Now yeah. NCAA don't like us. So now we go to Southern <laughs> Miss and it's like, all right, we play the first game rain out. Got to come back out. We lose the first game. Now we got to turn around, wait 30 minutes, play the next game. It's like, well, we can't lose. If we lose, we go home. Mm. So we end up winning. And then, and then the, uh, we wait like another 24 hours just to play the next game. So, I mean, it was, that was more than 24 hours because we had the rain delay. We had so many rain delays. We didn't have any locker rooms. We had nowhere to nowhere. We had to end up. We left the field at Southern Miss on Friday night to go back to the hotel to sit there and wait to see if the game was canceled. Yeah. And so we're, we're sitting at the hotel like, okay, are we going to play? Saturday rolls around. Okay. Now we got a game and a half Sunday rolls around and it's like, we're sitting there, be ready to go at nine o'clock. Okay. We're all ready to go at nine o'clock. 
Now we already got 10. 10 o'clock rolls around. Now 11. We just keep getting pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. And I think that was something that, you know, the adversity that we had to go through is like everybody wants to watch us play and everybody wants to, wants us to lose, but all that matters is the people that were right there in our dugout and the fans that are with us. But, you know, if we're going to play, it, it's going to come down to us on the field and us in the dugout. It's going to be us together as a team. And that's something that V has, has put into the minds of this year's group is you got to be fearless. You got to be able to do everything that all the last four years teams have done is be fearless, go out there and work hard every single day, no matter what it is, just show up and be present where your feet are. And so go out there and, and fight adversity and punch it right in the mouth. I love it. Uh, Xander, who, uh, which fall ball guys, new guys caught your eye this, this fall? Who, who did you look at and go, Oh, uh, I'm excited. I'm excited. He's on my team this spring. Well, I would go, I would go Derek Schaefer. I mean, Derek okay. Schaefer, uh, we joke about him with the presence and stuff, but, um, mm-hmm. he's obviously a, a good pitcher in a sense. And, I think the way he just carries himself and handles himself, uh, he's he's my uh, he's my uh, sleeper. He's my sleeper okay. to watch out for. I like it. What about you, Kirby? Oh, I mean, there's a there's a lot of guys. As you can tell, we brought in 26 and returned yeah. 23. Um, so, I think I got I got three guys in, in mind. Um, mm-hmm. All three of them are transfers, um, and I'm, two of them are going to be a little cliche. One of them is going to be my sleeper pick. Um, so the first two is Billy Amick and Cannon Peebles. Uh, both of them just really good hitters. Um, I don't know if we can both qualify can those play, guys as sleepers. Play, play. I feel like I, <laughs> those, I, those aren't my sleepers. Those are that's okay. not that's not a sleeper. Hey, that's, not sleeper like, hey, that's transfers. They've been in the league. You know? That's true. Okay. Okay. Fine. Fair enough. My other one was Chris Stamos. Um, but my well, then, yeah, he's the he's the part of the bingo squadron. But I got you. Hold on. Who's okay. the bingo squadron? Oh, that's a, that's an we got invited we got so v v had to go do bingo and the first three people he thought of was me xander and stamos okay so we made a group chat called the bingo squadron squadron mm-hmm. so yeah the but bingo okay my, i think my my sleeper pick let me let's do some deep digging here okay oh Gosh, this has put me on the spot. I wasn't going to do a freshman. Um, I got to go. I got to go, go around the locker room in my mind. Oh, it can also be right someone who played last year. It could be someone who started last year. Who you're like, oh, there, it, it, this, it's coming this year. It's, it's clicking all together. I think I'm going to go with Ariel Antigua. Oh, or okay. or Brad Key Lowry. Mm, yeah. uh, both of those two are middle infielders. Uh, yeah. I think both of them are going to um, show why they came came to Tennessee and show why they can play in the SEC and play at the highest level. Um, so I think those two are going to be my my sleeper picks on on doing a, having a great season. I love it. Um, player on the roster, the one through nine, who makes the biggest leap? Who's like this next star uh, in the lineup? Because you two, as the pitchers, you're seeing these guys, you're throwing to them. Who who is the next Drew Gilbert, Jordan Beck in the middle of this order, top of the order? It could be just Simo. Just even gets even better as elite as he was last year. Is it he's just the uh, uh, I mean already awesome, but makes an even bigger leap that Tennessee fans aren't even expecting in the middle of the lineup. Who 
who do you think in that group? Uh, let's see. I have two. I have I got, two off the top. I got of my mine mind. right here, right here on the top of my mind. Caveras tears. Oh, yeah. That's that's one of them. That's one of them. I had KT who contributed, who hit a homer in that Vanderbilt series that we were talking yeah. about, and also my other one was was Dylan Dryling because like uh, Dylan Dryling because he's getting into that stage where hey, all right, he he's probably going to become an everyday player, and I think he's going to take off. Although Dryling and tears, man. Uh, yeah. You could put also Reese Chapman in that category mm-hmm. as well because Reese has been swinging it very differently this this fall and spring than he did last year and I I think he's he's due for a breakout as well. I love that. Um as we wrap up here, uh what is uh a couple of quick questions for you. The most looking forward to about this year. I know it's y'all's last year here at Tennessee Xander what What's got you the most excited about uh, this final year at UT? I would, you, you said it. I mean, the last ride. I think I'm just going to enjoy this season as much as uh, maybe more than others, no matter where we go, if we go to Omaha or not. But, you know, I'm just, just going to enjoy every moment and realize this is the last year of college baseball and I'm not going to get it like this again. No, I mean, it, it's the last year, but it, it's fun, right? Like the last ride aspect to it, it gets you amped and, the expectations, D1 baseball, preseason top nine. I mean, it's kind of wild to just see how many SEC teams are in the top 15 and just <laughs> what uh, you're up against every single weekend in this conference. But uh, is it what is it for you, Kirby? Is it the same thing? It's your last ride? Is it uh, introducing the cutter? Is it seeing uh, what more you can accomplish in the middle of, the, of uh, these these games? Because, I mean, it, it, in my family group chat, it's always when Kirby comes out, it's like, all right, we're getting out of the inning. Like uh, the Thomas family group chat loves seeing Kirby pop out because it's just like, oh, we're getting out of the inning. It's it's a great feeling uh, in uh, a lot of Tennessee fans households when uh, you enter the game. Yeah, I think I think mine kind of goes with Xander's, you know, just I don't I don't have any more years left. Um, so I better use them. Actually, I guess I do have a red shirt. I can come back and get a doctorate degree, but um, I'm not a big fan of not a big fan of school. So. That's out of that's that might out be of the hard picture. for the doctorate. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> so mine's just mine's just never take a day for granted. Um, mm. Just go out there, you know, if I get to throw or not, whether or not I'm in the game or if I'm in the dugout, you know, just take it all in, you know, because you never know when that when that time could be done. Um, and it could be in it could be in June or it could be in in uh, May. You never know. So uh, just never take a day for granted and go out there and and do what you can do it helps that we uh room together too so we'll be there you go yeah i love that um i'll end on this because i've always been very curious about this question (laughs) and from different perspectives and two elite pitchers here on this program that i'm very gracious uh very grateful that uh, you guys are making the time tonight um the hardest pitch to master as a pitcher is what xander the hardest pitch to master? Yeah, like the hardest pitch when you, like in all the pitches and as you were growing up and you were trying different things, you're like this, I, I don't know how these other pitchers are able to pull this off and make it look so easy. What's the hardest pitch to master? I would I would probably say a back a backdoor cutter to a righty because I'm a lefty. Uh-huh. A backdoor cutter, instead of it backing up, it cuts like right you know, about a foot, you know, 
away from the plate and just mm-hmm. nips that outside corner. That's that's mine. I mean, I'm I'm still trying to figure that out. Okay. What about you, Kirby? Is that is it your as a lefty? Is it the same for you? Um, I I don't know. Mine mine's a splitter. I've never figured it out in <laughs> the twenty plus years I've been playing baseball. I've still yet to figure out how to throw a splitter. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe because I have small hands, that doesn't help. Um, but I still can't figure it out. Even no matter how far the ball is back in my hands, I can still never figure out how they throw it and it just doesn't move. Have you watched like someone do it? Like it, you're watching up close and you're like, I don't understand. I'm doing the exact same thing you're doing. And it's still like, just, is that not got to be extremely funny? Yep. You're like, I'm a college SEC baseball pitcher and I don't understand how to do this. I don't understand how they make this look easy. Yep. And I can even video it, slow it down. Like, yep. like the, the pitcher from Florida last year, Waldrop, mm-hmm. he could throw a splitter and it would be like a knuckleball. I'm like, dude, <laughs> I I throw a splitter and it's just like a rising fastball. Yeah. So, yeah, there's, that's that's the one that's been very very difficult for me, and I've still have yet to figure out, and probably never will. There you go, um, Xander Kirby. This has been fantastic. I greatly appreciate you guys both making the time. I'm excited to watch you both pitch this final time uh, this spring uh, up close uh, at LNS with more seats. So that'll be nice. Like uh, all seats. More seats all down that left field side. Let's hope. Fingers crossed. We're we're going optimistic here. More more seats on that left hand side. Um, and it's just it's a raucous atmosphere that I I very much missed. Uh, it doesn't feel like spring until Tennessee baseball is uh is back in full force. And uh, you guys have been awesome these last few years here at UT, and I'm uh, grateful that uh, you guys made the time tonight. And good luck this year. Stay healthy, and uh, thank you so much. Yes, sir. Hey, Thanks for having Thank on. You. Thanks for having us on here. Really enjoyed it. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.